partnering is all around us in every industry, right? We're, we are very centered in the tech industry. And people ask me, like, what is that you do? Are you partnering? What's that? And I try to explain to them, like, I'll use the Microsoft lens and I'll say, well, Microsoft really doesn't sell a lot direct. They really work through their channels and organizations. And there's 400,000 partners in the Microsoft ecosystem. But I'll back up a little bit. And in the tech sector, there's maybe 750,000 technology organizations because a customer doesn't just buy one thing. They buy, especially, I, I talk about the five seats at the table. There's a technology decision. There's a, there's a business need that needs to get solved. And it doesn't just get solved by one piece of technology, th one piece, one thread, if you will. There are several components that get threaded together and organizations that recognize that going it alone is harder it's a lot easier. Like I told you about my, my life examples. It's easier to lock arms with another and go after that. And, you know, go back to the old Stephen Covey adage, one plus one equals three or more, right? There's great value in ecosystems and partnership. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, and thank you for joining another discussion featuring topics focused on us, humans, and our very dynamic and evolving relationship with how we are continuing to interact with technology. We all know it. The technology industry is moving so fast. Just three years ago, the hottest topics on the street were about AI models and things like computer vision and facial recognition. And there were so many implications of understanding that from how to build inclusion in those types of systems, starting at the talent level, the folks actually building the code, to the types of business implications that this tech would have on the world. Blockchain, you remember that, had a bit of a rise. Folks were talking about it left and right. Then a fall, no one cared about it. And now we're seeing its rise again as distributed compute and databases take form not only in crypto, but in how it's empowering things like NFTs, gaming, and now this emerging physical and digital ecosystem model, the almighty metaverse, which we'll get deeper into on another episode. And throughout all this technology, you have these very strange and fast moving macro trends, pandemics, climate oriented weather events like we're seeing in Texas, the ice storms in Texas today, government reactions and policy changes, which cause very difficult challenges to how organizations hire talent or even manufacture, fabricate and move products globally. What I've started to observe throughout all of this change is the emergence of the partnership and the importance of belonging to an ecosystem as businesses and organizations team up to bring their strengths together to solve really hard problems. Vince Menzioni has spent the last 25 years of his career thinking about how to create successful partnerships. As a former Microsoft general manager of partner strategy, host of the Ultimate Guide to Partnering podcast, and founder of tech consulting firm Ultimate Partnerships, Vince brings an aptitude and an energy which you'll feel for partnerships and how they can drive change in any tech organization. 
This episode was recorded on LinkedIn Live on December 8th of 2021, and we talk about Vince's eight principles of partnership success and why the importance of creating and forming healthy partnerships has never been so important. We'll talk about emerging trends in partnership strategy on a global scale, and we'll talk about some lessons and learnings about culture, leadership, and Vince's journey in creating his five-year passion project, The Ultimate Guide to Partnering Podcast. A must-listen if you care about partnering or developing new business ecosystems. You can find links to all these artifacts in the show notes of this episode. Finally, Vince is a dear friend and mentor of mine and was initially the sole source of inspiration for why I created the Data Vintage Podcast. A very special person. Thank you for listening. And now I bring you Vince Menzioni. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Data Binge Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, the Data Binge Podcast is a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focused on the human relationship with technology. And today we're talking about partnerships. We're talking about thought leadership, and we're talking about mentoring and things I think a lot of us care when we think about career progression. And we're talking with my very good friend, Vince Menzion, founder of Ultimate Partnerships. Vince, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great, Derek. I really am. Excited to join your group. And I'm excited for what you're doing here. It's really great work. Yeah, well, and we'll get into why I'm doing this and how I got into this and why this is such a special episode later in our discussion. But I'd love to give some space into what you do. Like, let's talk about partnerships, because when I think about partnerships, I think about you and I think about the work that you are doing and and have done. So let's talk about what that means to you. Yeah. So, you know, I've described my career as four successful business transformations. I started off in the early days of wireless computing, carrying a bag, trying to get a product up to where the competition was. And I recognized that working with other organizations for influence strategy, scale, connections, and then helping me sell my platform was really important and critical to success. I did follow one of the leaders there to do a turnaround. That company was highly successful. Followed one of the leaders to do a turnaround. I was asked to build a channel. And I was a direct seller and had built a direct selling model for the most part and recognized that I needed to establish channel strategy, needed to enlist partners and grew that business exponentially. And then I was recruited out of that organization by Microsoft. And then for nine years, I was the general manager of US public sector partner strategy. So intuitively knew, especially in the Microsoft culture, how important partnership is to success. And I believe now, you know, we've lived through a time like no other. We're seeing the transformation of business rapidly advancing. And technology organizations can't do it alone. Every organization is becoming a tech company. And partnerships, I believe, I'm emphatic about, will be the key accelerant to success and ultimately survival during this new age that we're living through. And you have a pretty, you have a pretty magical milestone coming up up here in January. Can you talk about what's going to happen in January? Yeah, yeah. So when I left Microsoft, I started listening to podcasts. And this is a funny thing. Back in the bomber days, we weren't allowed to carry around iPhones. So none of us really had podcasts on our phones. But I got an iPhone. Satya let us get iPhones. And somebody turned me on to podcasts. And I started listening to all these great... I was getting all this great information. And I realized there wasn't anything around partnering necessarily. There wasn't very much out there. It was th- Content was really thin. I knew that partners struggled working with the tech giant, that it was a wildly complex organization, hard to navigate, 
lots of different, as you know, you're inside the four walls, you understand that. And I felt that doing a podcast, basically interviewing friends and colleagues of mine, so that partners to deconstruct success strategies, to help other organizations know what the best of the best are doing, to help people understand the mission and what's in it for them working with the tech giant. And so that grew, that rapidly grew. I started Ultimate Guide to Partnering last five years ago. And so we're coming up on that five-year anniversary. And uh, we're up over 130 episodes now. It took a little bit of a pause. You know, talk about that later a little bit. But yeah, super excited for what we've been able to do. This past year, we've had four or five corporate vice presidents for Microsoft, several other vice presidents, leaders in every industry and in every geography talking about what makes success. And we've been lifting up voices, people that have overcome adversity to achieve greatness in their careers. So I just love what we're doing. I love the people. I love having so many great friends and colleagues and people that I've learned to know better through the podcast. And so, yeah, five years. I can't believe it's five years. It's crazy. Half, half a decade. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. I think I've been doing this for about four years. And the way that I'd started is I got in contact. Someone told me that I should talk to you about getting on your podcast or Someone gave me some guidance around, don't start your own podcast, get on podcasts. And I thought that was really strange. And I had been listening to podcasts at the time. And then we spoke. And at the time I was in the data and AI business, really trying to figure out what that business was and figure out what the technology was, how to work at Microsoft, all these different things. And then you were, were like, well, hey, Derek, why don't you start a podcast? And why don't you make the podcast about what you do in your everyday and interview friends and colleagues and customers, et cetera, about this specific thing and see where it takes you. And I've been putting multiple, many, many, many hours into this thing for a really long time. I've had some, some amazing guests. We're talking with you today and it's completely transformed who I am as, a, as an individual, as a leader, as a speaker, everything that I do today. That is good. I denote other than my marriage and my kids. <laughs> I denote to the work I'm doing here in this podcast. So it's really incredible. And, I, and I, I hope in this conversation, folks can take some of that inspiration that you've given me as well. I applaud the work that you've done. I can only share with you my experience. I've learned, I've grown as a person. And I, I get something from every single interview that I do. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your guests. You're in such a great space. People want to learn. You help them learn and grow. And just wonderful. So congratulations on your, this is episode 73 for you, which is uh, amazing. That's an amazing amount. We talked about this before we went live, like, you know, working for the tech giant. I know how busy that job can be and how all in consuming it can be. And to be able to do this as well and share your passion with others is just amazing. It's, it's fun. Congratulations. Yeah. It's, I think anything challenging can be fun and it could also be rewarding. So Look, Vince, you have done a lot of work in this partnering ecosystem and these tech businesses work with these part. Can you describe what a partner is? Because when you're coming into tech, it takes a long time to even figure out what that is, how it works, why it's growing. We'll talk a little bit more about the growth metrics in a minute, but can you just talk about the base layer of what partnering is? What's all, what is it all about? Well, it's funny because partnering is all around us in every industry, right? We're, we are very centered in the tech industry. And people ask me, like, what is that you do? Are you partnering? What's that? And I try to explain to them, like, I'll use the Microsoft lens. And I'll say, well, Microsoft really doesn't sell 
a lot direct. They really work through their channels and organizations and there's 400,000 partners in the Microsoft ecosystem. But I'll back up a little bit. And in the tech sector, there's maybe 750,000 technology organizations because a customer doesn't just buy one thing. They buy, especially, I, I talk about the five seats at the table. There's a technology decision. There's a, there's a business need that needs to get solved. And it doesn't just get solved by one piece of technology, one piece, one thread, if you will. There are several components that get threaded together and organizations that recognize that going it alone is harder. It's a lot easier. I told you about my, my life examples. It's easier to lock arms with another and go after that. And, you know, go back to the old Stephen Covey adage, one plus one equals three or more, right? There's great value in ecosystems and partnerships, all different types of partnerships. And we used to think about partnering as just reselling. And it started in the tech sector back when IBM released the first PC, right? It was an open platform. They licensed this thing called DOS from this guy in Seattle who licensed it and didn't sell it to them, but he kept the ability to sell it to other manufacturers, other white labelers. And that created an entire industry, right? People building boxes, people deploying computers in offices and homes and everywhere. And this is where it came from. I mean, at least in the tech sector, it really grew from that. There were some dealers, distributors in other parts of the tech sector, but it really blossomed and grew from really the first PC back in 1981 in Boca Raton down here in Florida. So what, what I would say about partnering is we've recognized, we in the tech sector certainly have recognized that partnering is a way to success, right? It takes more than one organization to make things happen. There's great leverage. There's scale, there's influence, there's all these things and components of value that help organizations be successful and accelerate their growth and transformation. We've seen it in other industries, right? You don't buy a car directly from GM or whoever the manufacturer is. Maybe in the case of Tesla, the, you are. Most cases, you're buying through a dealer. You don't, you know, Amazon. I, when I go shopping, I'm ordering from Amazon. Amazon is not the manufacturer of those products for the most part. It's a third-party product. So there's partnering at all levels. Distribution is something we've seen for many, many, many years across other industries. I think the reseller analogy is a good one because you had that third party intermediary that was contracting deals and licenses and all these different things so that there was really no direct consumer in the enterprise side that I was observing when I first joined. And that was kind of the, the, the partner. And then you had these other folks that were system integrators. So you had like folks that would come in, bring domain experience, and they would actually bring development. And now it's data science and creative architects, all these different things. So you had those, those folks. I was going to say, and the cloud changed everything, right? So when the cloud first became a thing, and we started going to our partners, our traditional partners, and saying, yeah, we're bringing this cloud out, and they're going to buy directly from us, by the way. Or maybe, maybe they'll transact it through you, but the value of selling an enterprise agreement or license it's all going to move to a subscription model. It's going to move to this other model and you need to change your business model to support it. And some organizations are still struggling with that transformation. And we're actually trying to get, and this is, this is part of the conversation I think we'll get here too. So you're mentioning there's this reseller kind of model with this historic like licensing, annuity type of sales, contracts, et cetera. And then you have like a system integrator, someone who actually comes and needs to build some things and they're considered a partner as well. And then you're describing just this direct to consumer ability to just consume against technology. 
there's a, a vertical there. And then there's the ISV, right? And this is where it gets really interesting, this independent software vendor who is now building solutions, SaaS solutions, or even native capabilities in the cloud that folks can just log into with Azure Active Directory or whatever, uh, with some credentialing and just access this organization's tooling or capabilities. And then now that's creating uh, revenue consumption against this tech business's bottom line. And then now, and I think again, now you have customers, you have folks, this is some of the biggest names in the industry who are saying, we wanna become a software business. How do we become a software business? And most of the time, folks in, in tech are like, let us help you get there because we know that it, not only is it gonna make them more strategic and transform their business, but it's also gonna consume against our platforms. So there's a partnership there as well. And that's, I spend the majority of my time there. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was pitching to some, some C-level folks around, you gotta get out of this type of business and get into this business. Because guess what? When you buy software, you don't go buy a box anymore at Best Buy. When you buy a car, like Tesla, you don't go in, you don't go to a dealership. You just buy it online and go in and procure it. Your iPhone, like, like I don't buy this in a store. I just get it shipped to me. When I don't want it anymore, I ship it away. So this thing is evolving and you're talking a lot about the evolution of this whole horizon of partnering, you know, and you wrote this blog. Uh, featured by Microsoft US partner community called the eight pillars of partnering success. Given all these things, Vince, and the, the way that these things are moving so fast, how do you, can you talk to those eight pillars and why they matter now and in the future? Absolutely. I'm happy to talk about that with you. By the way, I wanted to, I did want to say one thing about what your comments, right? So we are seeing this transformation accelerate like no other time. We've seen IBM just jettisoned their services business, right? Every company is moving to this new model, this subscription model, Cisco, HP, everything is as, as a service. I spoke to a gentleman the other day, robotics company. It's robotics as a service for these large distribution facilities. They compete against the robots that Amazon deploys for everybody else. So everything is becoming a service. Every company, Accenture did a study, 76% of CEOs in every geography and in every industry said, their companies will be unrecognizable in five years, and it's, it'll be driven around ecosystems. So people are recognizing that this transformation you're seeing, this moving from this other model to this technology model, it's all happening and it requires partnerships in order to do it. I wrote this blog post because I became convicted. I've sat on both sides of the table, and I have seen what the best of the best have done. I've been the GM sitting, running a $4.6 billion business at Microsoft, and I was the channel chief at a billion-dollar ISV, one of the largest ISVs, the largest ISV in their sector. And I became convinced that there were a set of principles around what made success, and there were some principles, the converse of what is failure, like why organizations fail partnering, and why when two organizations lock arms and it doesn't work, why that happens, and when two organizations lock arms and it's successful, why that happens. And I have identified through the work I've done over the years, the podcast is a great laboratory. I have over 130 guests now that come to the podcast and I ask every single one of them about partnering. What, what have you seen from the best and why do they fail? And so I've landed on, I've kind of boiled this down to a set of operating principles around what makes successful partnering. And I believe it all starts with mindset, like growth mindset, forward-leaning mindset, 
however you want to describe it, mindset is key and critical to success while partnering. And, you know, mindset was not a, a thing that people really talked about in the business sector before Satya Nadella came to Microsoft. But we can talk about how he got the company where he got it to. And this success from, you know, we were, and I were talking about the share price being $30 a share for about 11 years during the bomber days to now trading in the $330 range today. And mindset is a critical component. Empathy enters the room. But having a mindset and a growth mindset towards partnering, because organizations fail because they don't think the right way. They think from a scarcity mentality as opposed to a, an abundance mentality. So that mindset's got to be right first. Then both organizations have to identify the value, like the shared vision. Like, what do we want to go do big together? Like, you were in that boardroom yesterday, right? You're having that conversation, like, probably a lot of excitement around, like, what can we go do together that's going to be bold, big? And what's going to be our North Star? That needs to be set up front because there are going to be days that it's challenging. But if you have a clear path, a clear North Star, and by the way, you've aligned your organization's values, like we agree that these are the values for the partnership, like you need to lock arms there and have that conversation. And you need to agree that that's going to be the principles and how we're going to drive success with that shared vision. The next thing you need to have is commitment. Like, what do you mean commitment? Well, I, I need... Both organizations need to be fully committed. This can't be lip service. When a CEO gets up to the board or to the public communities and says, we believe in partnership, but doesn't invest the resources, that's lack of commitment. And I see that happen all the time. When organizations allow bad behavior, like, oh, we don't trust, we don't trust you to share leads with you. We don't trust your sales team. That's lack of commitment in the organization. So the commitment needs to be firm. It needs to be solid. The next is maniacal focus. Like we need to be focused on the success of this thing. Now that, okay, okay. It sounds right. But what happens so many times is the organizations come together, they have a great meeting, they lock arms. They said, this is what we're going to do. Today. It's so great. We're going to, yeah, yeah. We're both committed. And then they leave the room. And I, I've seen this, I used to have, has happened to me all the time when I was a GM at Microsoft and I've had it happen with clients. Like people go away and nobody's really focusing on the successful execution. And it's got to be deliberate. It's got to be daily. It's got to be, you almost have to be obnoxious in your maniacal focus to success because everybody's busy. Like if you're working with Microsoft as a partner, you have to recognize Microsoft, a, a typical Microsoft person like yourself is probably going to get two or 300 emails a day. So I need to make sure I'm kind of helping you focus by that. And then the other piece that ties into this focus is communications having very deliberate, open, honest communications and a clear channel of communications with one another. And we're sharing information and we're talking about what's working. But more importantly, we're talking about what blockers exist. That's number five. And then from there, like we got to get results because like we could do all these things, but if we're not driving the results and if we're not celebrating the results, and this is where like Microsoft has put a lot of emphasis and effort around co-selling. And a lot of ISV partners don't recognize like it's, it's as important to spend the time telling Microsoft what you're doing and deliberately showing back the results and then celebrating that with a megaphone to say, you know, we, we're doing this together. That will lead to more and more success. So it kind of acts as a flywheel, if you will. The seventh thing I see that organizations don't often do is around brand. And... I've had a couple of really great guests on the podcast talk about branding 
One is Dux Raymond Sai. He's a chief brand officer for a large Microsoft partner, Avpoint. A lot of people in the Microsoft ecosystem know he does probably one of the best jobs I've ever seen without having to spend money building his brand with and through Microsoft, right? Attaching himself to the brand, being known within the four walls of the organization, being asked to speak at conferences because he is who he is and he, he does just an excellent job. They're recognizing that building your brand and your brand story and also a lot of tech organizations do not do marketing very well. Like they're not as good as other organizations in terms of brand and marketing. And that's why there's so many people like Gail Mercer McKay out there who help these organizations stand out and make noise. Or I like to refer to being a shiny quarter and a bucket full of shiny quarters. You're like, you need to stand out because there's, again, there's, there's only limited opportunities to stand out. And then the eighth principle is around agility. Partnerships, things are going to change and recognizing when they change and understanding when to pivot your organization and having that listening mechanism that says markets are changing, like, you know, when COVID happened, like how do we optimize for success? Or when Microsoft came out with Microsoft Teams, there was a big opportunity for partners to shift from, you know, SharePoint and other technologies to being much more Teams focused. And, you know, the organizations that recognize that next avenue, that next area for success, especially working with Microsoft, where the tech giant, as you know, priorities change from year to year, the scorecard changes from year to year, and being intuitively aligned and preparing and communicating and adjusting will help you be successful and also ultimately survive any challenges as the, as the market or the tech giant changes. So those are the eight, mindset, vision, commitment, maniacal focus, communications, getting results, brand, and agility. One of the things I'm thinking about right now, Vince, when you're walking through this stuff is, I think this idea of mindset, and it, we've talked about this so much, and, you know, Carol Dweck's book, et cetera, and like, you know, athletes, and all these folks are talking about mindsets. So but how that folds into each one of these other principles, because I think, I think mindset is, I think it's a substrate that kind of plugs into all these different things. And the one that caught my eye the most when you're talking through this is maniacal focus. And just as an example, I think it applies to everything. These principles you're talking through, when I'm reading them, I read the blog, and this is relevant to so many things. And partnering, I think, is such a bigger conversation than the system integrator that's working with Salesforce. You know, there's so many things that partnerships mean. And it could, I'm thinking about a real estate transaction. So me and my wife were, oh my gosh, just miracle workers, miracle earners, whatever you want to call it. We bought our first home. It closed last Thursday and we're just really excited about it. And in this crazy, insane market. It's crazy. Congratulations, by the way. Thank amazing. you. Yeah. I mean, there was like 300 things that worked out in our favor. <laughs> it was just constant favor. And then we talked to our real estate agent, who's an, just an amazing person and just culturally, spiritually, just a really awesome person. And then she basically said, look, and, and when we came down to, you know, bidding wars and all these things, she said, and things were just working out for us. And she said, look, you know why this is happening? It's because you guys wanted it. You guys were focused. You wanted it. I tried to put, have you look at other, at other houses. She, she's like, you didn't want to look at these other houses. And then when we thought we were going to lose this one, you said, let's wait until another one opens up in this same exact neighborhood. And she's like, and you know what that did for me? 
it gave me the assurance and gave me the inspiration and momentum to go and work harder for you. And I communicated that with the seller agent. And the seller agent went and communicated that to the sellers. Now everybody in this entire ecosystem knows that you want it. And now everyone's got this inspiration and everyone's moving forward to this thing. There's all this energy. I love it. It was amazing. And then the same thing happens when we partner in the customer transformation innovation organization at Microsoft in terms of how our team partners. We're not really looking at spend. We're not really looking at who are we talking to the organization? We're not really looking at capabilities. You know what a lot of us are looking at is how eager, how focused they are to want to work with us on this specific transformational capability. So I just really wanted to highlight that. Kate Johnson, who was uh, the president of MSUS, uh, now Deb Cup has taken her spot. I think they're both centralized around when we focus, we win. So really appreciate those tokens, Vince. And you don't get to focus without commitment and you don't get to commitment without mindset. And somewhere along the line, you got to decide what it is we're going to go do together first, because you need that kind of that North star to go chase against. Right. And you need everybody in the organization, both organizations aligned to it so that they're all excited. So they apply the right level of energy, which is all about, right. We talk about energy and trust enters people go, well, where's trust in this? Trust is implicit across all eight principles because Trust, it's kind of like the oxygen in the room. Like without trust, you don't have any of this, the other eight. So trust is in there in every capacity. You had this just phenomenal guest on your podcast. I was just listening to it this morning at the gym, kind of, you know, prepping, you know, get, getting in the right place for, for this discussion. So I was just so excited to talk with you. Yeah, it was Jay McBain. He's a principal analyst at Forrester, and he talks about partnerships and ecosystems. This guy went to the next level. He was talking about, for instance, you know, the Microsoft community, I think, of partners is like 470,000 partners. They're adding two to 300 a day. He talked about influence and how each one of these partners is creating a certain amount of value, extends far beyond direct value that an organization can cull from the market today just by selling directly into them. He talked about the ecosystems, Vince. He said this was the decade of ecosystems and marketplaces. Can you talk a little bit about those types of conversations and things that you're seeing when it comes to ecosystems and marketplaces and what that means. Yeah, and Jay's been a great guest, multi-time guest. I consider him one of the top leaders in terms of understanding what's going on in the channel and you know in this ecosystem community. So you know, one of the things you start thinking about this, what's happening within ecosystems and the transformation that's happening within partnering. And we've talked about this on the podcast, right? Because the model is changing dramatically. And then organizations also need to think about how they want to think through partnering strategies, right? And that why they're so critical to success within the organization. And Jay and I have discussed like the five seats at the table and the fact that these organizations, you need to think differently as you build out an ecosystem what are the key attributes you need and what are going to be the key accelerants to success with your partnering strategy? We also talked about, you know, within the 470,000, the roles of partners are kind of blurry for a lot of organizations. The one analogy I wanted to get to this is, um, you know, he called that the decade of the ecosystem. And he referred back to where we were in 2009 with marketing technologies, right? Marketing used to be a black hole. You used to throw money at it. 
And the adage was, you know, half of, I don't know where half of it goes or what, you know, how I'm spending it or what it does to impact the business. The Markcom, in the Mark tech industry, the marketing technology sector was nascent at that time. You didn't really have Eloqua. You didn't have Marketo. You didn't have HubSpot. And these organizations have taken off incredibly. In the MarTech stack, there's now 8,000 technology companies. And marketing has become a science, right? It used to be like, let's get a trade show booth. Let's take a printed ad. No, we know exactly when we spend a dollar, how that equates into leads, into MQLs and SQLs, and how it drips out as sales on the other end, right? It's become a science. In the technology sector around partnering, one of the biggest areas, I would say, gaps has been that in the partnering side, a lot of organizations, a lot of chief revenue officers have looked at partnering as a little bit like a black hole because the technology has not been there before. Like the really good, rich technology that says a dollar spent in partner ecosystem, incentives, partner marketing, go-to-market strategies, all those things applied at the other end will look like this. And so that science is, we're starting to see the evolution. Jay tracks a bunch of these companies and there's 183 in his chart right now. And one of them is actually going to be a, a sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering, a company by the name of PartnerTap. But some of these organizations are building technologies that will allow for the right correct and more scientific attribution of partnering down to the deal level, down to the dollar level. And you don't see it as, I mean, the partner business has been the stepchild. People have bolted on things to their CRM systems in order to support it. And what you're seeing is it's really exciting time right now. You're going to see, I believe this technology is taking off. One of the companies just raised a couple of them have raised north of a hundred million dollars recently. Andreessen Horowitz just invested a ton of money in a couple of companies, one of which is Tackle.io, which is in the marketplace business. And marketplaces will be another area where we're going to see this, right? Because the marketplaces and technology around marketplaces also creates a better opportunity for sound partnering, being able to take it down to a widget, if you will, right? So a SaaS software solution where I need to configure and I used to come up with a price and I pass it over to the other side to my partner. No, I can do a private offer now through the marketplace. And my partner can go grab it and go sell it. Imagine that, right? So it's allowing for examples and transactions and the science of partnering to come to a new level. And I, I believe we're just at the precipice. We're maybe at inning one or two at this point of this. It's going to be an exciting decade of partnering. And we will see, I believe, when we come out of 2030, we're going to look a whole lot like where we are today with marketing technologies, where Marketo. HubSpot's got a, a, a number, the exact number on the valuation. Is it, a, is it $40 billion or $14 billion, whatever? They have a huge valuation. We're seeing all of these companies, they were either acquired early on, but they become significant and they become ex significant accelerants to how we think about and how we market today. I believe we're going to see the same thing out of the partner technology tech stack or channel tech stack. The value, I think, that I'm seeing in I'm just going to, I'm just getting into my journey. I'm just talking about, you know, me and my wife and the things we've been doing extracurricularly, you know, trying to get into a new home and then thinking about how folks are creating value today with 
wanting to be in a good neighborhood. You want to be in a good neighborhood so you can have live a good, great life. You want to be in a great network so that you can light up new opportunities, have great conversations, travel to great places. Everyone wants the friend with a pool. So you have like every single thing I'm seeing value in. It's like you're seeing this ecosystem. A lot of the work that I've been doing this in the last yeah, almost a year is trying to build data marketplaces. So you have folks that a governing body, you have multiple stakeholders, you have like a, an advisory stakeholder group that tries to figure out the different operations and, and the fluidity and how to monetize this thing. Then you have all these partners that are ingesting data into the marketplace and, and, and getting a, an incremental revenue slot from the data that they're giving up. And they have these consumers who are consuming the data and you have suppliers that are coming in and, and putting these SaaS applications within this data marketplace. So you're creating this brand new ecosystem where all these different folks are being able to extract value. And it's even going beyond that. That's not even the hottest thing. And now you have you know, NFTs. And it's like this ecosystem of people that believe that this asset is valuable. And that's why this asset is increasing in value. And then if folks who are trading against this assets are, are now making money. And it, I mean, that the blockchain, I think, is bringing that to us with crypto. I've been, I just, I'm like 30% through the Bitcoin standard. And I'm like, this network effects of the monetary system and all these different things. I mean, everything is alluding to creating an ecosystem and creating a network. Services organizations, I've heard for every dollar spent on services, you know, there's seven to $8 spent on product or consumption against that tech stack that they're building on, et cetera. So all these things are happening, but you still, Vince, you still have folks that aren't convinced. They're, they're not convinced that they should become a software company. They're not convinced that they should be part of the marketplace. What would you say to those folks that don't want to get involved, that don't want to get into partnering at that level? Yeah, I mean, that's why I come back to the, to the principles, right? You need to embrace them or, or not. It's hard to bring you along if you're not ready for it. It's like anything. I think the proof is in seeing other organizations that have been successful doing it. We're starting to see this marketplace concept. Microsoft just invested in a huge way in marketplaces, right? Microsoft was behind the curve. They decided we're going to reduce our fees from 20% down to 3%. So when I see things like that, I go, that's a credit card transaction. And 3%, there's a whole ecosystem. I think, I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, in, in the sense that organizations will believe when they see other organizations that are like-minded or maybe in their industry that are successful. And we see more and more of that every day. Organizations still struggle when they don't get their mindset right. When they come at it from, I call it the heroic sales culture. You know, you, met, you talked earlier about a lot of these SaaS software companies. A lot of them are kind of fueled by, yeah, let's just hire a bunch of BDRs and let's hire a bunch of sales reps and smile and dial. Well, who's going to take your phone call any longer, right? Who's going to take the phone call? No, your best bet, your best opportunity for success is working with other influencers that are working with that customer. Jay likes to talk about the 50-person clinic in upstate New York, the medical clinic. And yeah, I'm working with a client right now and it's in the healthcare space. And they're looking at how do we build out an ecosystem to go after that, not only the large-scale healthcare provider, but how do we go after that 50-person clinic in upstate New York? Well, you need partners in upstate New York that or that customer is buying other technologies from. They might be digital agencies 
we've seen the whole advertising agency business transform digital agent you know they've all become digital agencies they recognize them the model the martech model requires them to be in the technology sector i see that we're going to see that in every every industry because we've been seeing just recently these last 22 months has transformed our lives in so many ways right you wouldn't have done telemedicine a, a doctor's appointment on your teams or zoom call do it today i mean people do that all the time you I do all my shopping on Instacart and on Amazon and other platforms. I buy everything directly. I don't go to a, to a department store very much these days. And we're going to see this continue to happen. Every industry is going to be touched by it. And those who embrace technology, those who embrace partnering, will ultimately be the winners and the others will fall off. And then I'm thinking about I'm thinking about folks who actually want to partner who are doing it i know you're probably going to allude back to the the eight principles but when you think about folks who want to get it right they want to take it to the next level are there things common errors that folks make in kind of their approach i know some things not having the mindset not having the right focus the commitment etc are there just a common pattern of things where you're thinking to yourself look as you advise these organizations you're not going to get it right. What does the you're not going to get it right conversation typically look like? Yeah, and there are a few areas, right? There are maybe more than I, I identify the three C's I refer to them as, but you know, it's culture, communication, commitment. But I find that like the ones uh, and, and Microsoft has got 470,000 partners. So let's start there for as an example. People come at it from a culture where A, I don't necessarily understand how that works. I don't understand how to share leads. I don't trust them to share my leads. I don't want to share my leads because they're going to give them to somebody else. So not understanding how that works. And then having the heroic mindset, which says, you know, we reward the seller that goes out there. You know, it's kind of goes back to our hunter-gatherer days, you know. We killed, they speared the fatted calf and we brought it home and everybody celebrated. That mentality that it's, and not understanding that it's really the partnering and selling is a team sport and you need to have attribution for all the people in the room. And then expecting too much is in that bucket as well. A lot of organizations think, oh, Microsoft's going to sell my product for me or, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to hit the easy on button, the easy button. And it's not, doesn't work like that. So there's, there's a lot of work that needs, that's required. Sometimes it feels like a lot more work than a lot more give than get, I guess is what I would say. And organizations struggle because of that. And they, they flip the switch back the other way again too soon because they don't realize that you got to invest in this thing for the long haul. So I find that that's a, a really common area is setting your expectations too high, too fast without a lot of, of the hard work. And then understanding the rhythm of the partner you're working with and how to align to that rhythm and how to be more deliberate in your communication strategy. And be aggressive, but in a di diplomatic way in terms of getting, you know, again, I talked about that two or 300 emails a day that you get. How do you stand out as a shiny quarter in a bucket full of shiny quarters when everybody else wants the same thing you do and there's just so many hours in a day and so many partners to partner with? And I find that those are the areas generally where organizations struggle, like when they try to engage in the partnership. By the way, I see this from the, the largest and the best in the sense that they're the biggest and biggest partners. And I see it from the smaller startup organizations as well, like getting it right 
and taking them through that, like understanding how to show up in the right way is super important. Vince, this, this is really awesome stuff. And I think just from a partnering perspective, I think we could talk a really long time about that, but I would be remiss to not start to, to, to ask you some questions around podcasting and thought leadership. And because for folks who haven't listened to your podcast, it's excellent. And just listening to 45 minutes this morning, I forget that it's excellent. There's so much good content out there. You forget how amazing certain content is. You go back to it, you recirculate, et cetera. So I think there's three things that we talked about. And, and you know, you're, you're a mentor to me. I come to you. When you give me advice, I take it. I think that's really important for folks who have the right person to get advice from. When it's delivered, if you take it, things you start to win. So some of the things that I think you have to share, if folks take, they'll win. You talked about values or pillars, I think we called this. And you said, yeah, maybe I should talk about these pillars more, but you were strengthened around them. I think they were, you know, getting how to get partnership right. I think there was a diversity and inclusion perspective and in how you how you lead, how you led, and how that continues to work. And then finally, I think there's a career development perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what those mean to you and you know how that's been evolving the last couple of years? You know, I, it, it struck me, it kind of came out when I started describing what, what I'm doing with the podcast. So when I came back out and started the podcast back up again, the world was on fire, right? I started up again in June of uh, 2020. And I wanted the podcast certainly to be around this principle around partnering. I had written that manifesto that said, this is why organizations need to partner better. And uh, posted that up on LinkedIn and had, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of likes and so on. So certainly around this getting partnering right, and I spent a fair amount of the episodes of the guests I invite deliberately tying into the principles. You know, people like Dr. Michael Gervais, who's going to be back on again, talking about mindset, right? And people like Miri Rodriguez, who wrote a book on brand story, just an amazing, wow, what a great leader. That's one component of it. Like that's one component of it. But then the world was on fire. And I felt that we, and I believe, I'm convicted that we in the tech sector have both an opportunity and perhaps an obligation to lead at this time. Like there was a leadership vacuum going on around the world, not just in this country. And so I've seen it. I've seen leaders that have stood up, that stood for something. And I felt that we had an opportunity to raise all voices. I felt that I had the opportunity to show, lift up the voices of others. And when I was at Microsoft, I was a DEI lead before it was such a thing. Like I was the first person of a white male raised my hand and said, you know, I want to help here. But I realized that we are in still in a very much a white male dominated technology industry. And so I wanted to be ensure that I was having leaders of diverse backgrounds, you know, people of color, a lot of women in technology. I wanted to hear their voices as well. So some of my very first guests were Lonnie Phillips from the U.S. organization at Microsoft. We had an authentic conversation about you know the struggles of becoming an executive, like what it took to become an executive, being a Black and African American woman, so a woman and both a person of color in this tech sector for the largest, probably most well-respected technology organization out there. And Rodney Clark came on and talked about his experience, first working for IBM, and his dad worked there. And so being the person in the room, right? And his dad actually was in the room for one of his meetings, and they compared notes afterwards, like, you know, what did you see? What, did, what were your experiences there? And so on. How did, how did you deal with this? 
And so, you know, really great conversations. And then the women, the women leaders like Melissa Mulholland, CEO of Crayon, and other great women leaders that I've had, CEOs of their companies, come talk about how they got to that spot in their life and how did they overcome whatever adversities. And Gabriella Schuster came on and talked about some of the work. In fact, her TED Talk, we talked right before her TED Talk was released. So this is a really big area for me in terms of ensuring that we in tech are, again, lifting all voices, leveling the playing field as much as we can today. We have a long way to go. So I'm an, I consider myself an ally there. And then I also had the great opportunity while I was still at Microsoft to do mentoring. And I've taken that and you talked about, and I so value you and honored that you consider me a mentor. But I believe that those of us who... I would have a little bit more gray hair if I didn't shave my head, but that we have some experiences that we can share. And being a legacy to that next generation is just so important. And leaving a legacy is just, it's fundamental to my core. It's part of my personal philosophy. So I believe that the podcast also is serving an audience of earlier in career professionals that want to hear from a corporate vice president at Microsoft. Like, how did you get to that level? They want to hear from a CEO and an entrepreneur who started a company. Like, how did you do that? And I think there's so many great wisdom and advice. So the podcast is broken up into those three components. Like we talk about partnering. If it's a diversity candidate, we talk about diversity and inclusion. And then uh, certainly every guest, there's the conversation about career development, career journey, lessons learned, best practices, best advice, that they've learned from others, how they pivoted and got to this spot in their career. One of the things that resonated with me when you were just talking about those different things, and I think I have some principles too that we were talking through, and I think mine, they continuously evolve, but it's you know, it's diversity, inclusion, it's intensity, tech intensity, you know, really cool tech, fascinating tech, things that light me up, you know? And then it's also this, this business centricity as a component of DNI and intensity. And then now, you know, starting to get more interested in mentorship and those types of things, the people leadership, et cetera. But one of the things that you mentioned is like this wisdom ideology and, and capturing that. I think it's such a missed opportunity when a colleague retires. I just had a colleague just let us know that he's gonna be spending the rest of his life enjoying his family and his friends. You know, he's he just moved to Colorado and I'm like, I, I gotta get a hold of you. We have to sit down, we have to have a conversation because once you leave, what happens to that 25, 30 years of experience doing some really hard stuff for really a, an amazing organization? So I think there's a responsibility for, if it's not organizations, but for us all to try to capture, you know, as many of those memories and moments that they could share as possible. Because I, I think that's gonna help to build the corpus for who we become as we continue to evolve as humans. Well, I'd like to say something here, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. I, this might be the first time I've said this in public. I believe that we retire people from the tech industry way too soon. There is a mindset baked in. I remember had some, somebody said this to me recently, who was somebody in the tech sector, that when you're of a certain age, you're too old to do the job. And I believe that there is an ageism bias. And in some respects, we haven't addressed it yet in our community. And I am going to probably, this is going to cause me to want to be more active here because I am of a certain age and I've been around for 30 years. And to your point, I think there's a lot that people can share. We should learn from other cultures where people that are of age, people that have wisdom, use the word wisdom, are valued better. 
in the workplace. And I don't think necessarily that we do enough of that, candidly. I would agree. I mean, it, part of it is, well, that exists, Vince, too. And it's unfortunate because it puts me and other individuals like myself in a hard place where when you start to look at the time horizon where you need to exit your job, most of that comes from fear. Most of it is I have to get out by this age or I'm going to be the guy, you know, and I'm going to be the guy that people look at and like, oh, you don't know how to use your phone. You know, you know, like in it. It's hard. I mean, that gives me more empathy for folks who are still in the game and still adding tremendous value. And I try to listen to those folks more because it's just like it's just like seeing a, a senior person trying to order something, a very senior person trying to order something at Starbucks and their people are getting pissed at them for not moving faster. It's like, hey, we're all going to be there. <laughs> so have some empathy for that. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you're, well, if you're I, I do think that there is, again, it's a misconception that people of a certain age are not as tech. I mean, there are some of us that are pretty good at social media and tech and other technologies that may be of a certain age. And, you know, I do think that how do you help those bring those on those people? Like you said, you're losing your mentor. He's walking out the door. He's going to go play golf or whatever he's going to do, ride, a, ride his boat or whatever. And yet he could be helping the organization in so, so many incredible ways. we got to figure out ways to better enlist those that have great experiences that they can share. And maybe as a chief mentor officer or something that organizations need to build into their culture. Maybe that's something else we can do in mindset and empathy. Yeah. And I love this topic. Maybe we should, we need to curb this topic and revisit again. But you think about someone who's managing money, who's in their 70s. I want to go work with that. Like, I want him to manage or her to manage my money. <laughs> like, he's probably exactly. phenomenal. You know, as a golf teacher, a golf instructor, I have a, a coach, a mindset coach, and he's well into his 80s. And I specifically wow. chose him. I looked out and asked folks, is there anyone? I want the most elderly working professional that you can find. And me and him have just this incredible relationship. I share my favorite car. Like, this is my favorite car. He'll share a car I've never even seen before. I was like, oh, have you seen a 1947 Jag? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> but he <laughs> he brings this world that I have never come to know, that I will never come to know unless I have these conversations and relationships. And just imagine if we could build that type of information and those types of resources and people around us in the tech industry. It would just be, it would just be incredible. It would be. I mean, unless you're blessed enough, like I was, to have my wife's grandfather teach me how to play golf well into his 80s, right? He reminded me of that, right? That person who's been around the block, who knows, again, more the mindset. Like, yeah, you know, striking the ball is one thing, but the mindset around the game, around being a courteous player, like all the things that matter that we take for granted. Yeah, yeah. We got five minutes left. This, the conversation was just, we were, I was Great. really starting to get into it. Yeah. So, Vince... How can folks get a hold of you? It's pretty easy, actually. First of all, I was blessed to have a name that nobody else had, or at least not on social media. So I'm at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow me along. And then Ultimate Guide, and by the way, VinceMenzion.com comes into Ultimate Guide to Partnering. But Ultimate Guide to Partnering is on almost every one of the popular podcast channels. So, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, you know, you can go on from there. 
and also ultimateguidetopartnering.com. Ultimateguidetopartnering.com and ultimate-partnerships.com go to the same website, the same portal. And you can follow along there. You know, we post the latest podcast on the main page. We have a separate episodes page where we have all 130 plus podcasts on that page. And, um, you know, those are the best ways to reach me. LinkedIn, if you want a personal communication, it's my favorite platform. I love what Microsoft and what LinkedIn is doing here. I think it's, you know, an incredible platform for business, for industry, for people to connect and of all walks of life. So, you know, ring me up, direct message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to get me. All right. All right. And I'll ask you one more question, Vince, before we let you go. If there's uh, if you have seven days to accomplish some task and you have unlimited resources to do it, what would you focus on in those seven days? It could be anything. Wow. Wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> Can I solve world hunger in seven days? I don't know. It could be anything uh, small or big. It doesn't matter. I do think there's still a lot to be done around partnering. And I do think that whether it's a movement whether it's a better community that people can come to. And it's actually my aspiration for Ultimate Partnerships and Ultimate Guide to Partnering is to create more of a community where people can come and they can learn from others in, you know, whether it's in chat rooms or, you know, through other media formats, but to provide that content more fluidly to them so that they can consume it. Do a lot of workshops. Microsoft hires me to come in and help partners get it right. And then I subsequently help those organizations in a, you know, for the long haul. But I think that there's a lot of organizations that necessarily can't afford that type of engagement. And I, I, my goal is to bring that out ultimately and bring that out more broadly, whether it be in class format or masterclass workshop type formats. So that'd be the thing I would focus on. Brilliant. Well, Vince, you really appreciate you coming on. And for folks watching and listening in real time, you got to check out The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. It's just a really great podcast. If you care about technology, if you care about the pace of technology, and, and Vince, you're quite professional. I mean, you're, you know what you're doing. It's a great podcast. And we'll also be publishing this episode on the Data Binge podcast as well. Derek, first, I just have to want to thank you. You are a great individual, great person. And the Data Binge podcast, I love your content. You're doing some really awesome things. You're a lot more technical than I am, which is great because people need what I do, but they also need what you do. And that tech intensity that you bring is super important to organizations looking to transform. I'll continue listening to you. And I want to thank you for being such a great friend. We're going to have you on Ultimate Guide to Partnering here sometime soon. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Vince. Thanks, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.